Today's conversation with Mark McMillan is presented by Weed Cellars. Hit WeedCellars.com for the best in wine, bourbon, and beer. It's that time of the week. We check in with one of our NFL insiders, Mark McMillan, former Philly Eagle and KC Chief. Each week, Mark catches up with one of his friends from the NFL, and this week we're uh, graced by the presence of the former Jet and Eagle, Hugh Douglas, awesome pass rush defensive end, and the 1995 Defensive Rookie of the Year. Fire away, Mark. Uh, what, what is your take of what's going on down there with the Jets organization, and what do they need to do to get back on track? Because when you guys were there, uh, you guys were uh, successful. Yeah, it was only for one season, though, and that's when Bill Parcells came. I think it was 97, and then I, I got shipped to Philadelphia. And then they went on to they, – they, they had some pretty good success during that Bill Parcells era. I think the biggest thing when you talk about the New York Jets is to get a plan and stick to it. You know, I mean, I think you, you need to figure out a co- coach. Hopefully the coach that they have right now, Coach Salee, hopefully he's the guy, and just stick with the plan. And, and, and stay the course. It's unfortunate, man, because New York is a great city, great town. And for that team to be, you know, and those fans to be in such a horrible situation when it comes to their football team, that's a tough spot to be in. It's a real tough spot to be in. Well, my, 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 my host of the show, Steve, he's a huge Jets fan. And, you know, every since oh, so you know, feel my pain, you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Well, I, I don't feel the exact pain because you played. So you had to you had to lay it on the line. But, yeah, I've been a I've been a Jets fan since a little kid. So it's uh, it's pretty yeah, rough. But, and and but, like like yeah. you said, it's all it all comes down to leadership from the top down. And I mean, especially when you talk about New York's a great place. You know, I unfortunately for me, when I was there, I didn't take advantage of New York because, you know, coming from a small town in Ohio, you know, a little bit, a little bit intimidated by the city. But. You know, you talk about some of the marketing deals that young men are into now and things of that nature. That's a great place to be. I mean, everything goes down in New York City. So if you were if you were one of these quarterbacks in the draft, if you go to New York, you would you would uh, go there with a, you know, with a good attitude going to the Jets? Would I if I was a quarterback? That's tough to say. <laughs> totally honest, when you look at the situation that the Jets are in, who do they have around? You know, I mean, that's the thing. You know, you're talking about offensive line, you're talking about some receivers and things of like that nature. What are they going to do to help me succeed? Because, you know, the quarterback is only one part of it. And as you can see nowadays, that the quarterback play isn't what it used to be. But in order to get it there, you have to get guys around. Like, jo- take Josh Allen, for instance. My co-host, John Fricky, used to kill Josh Allen. As a matter of fact, he thought Jake Fry was going to take his job this last football season. And they got they went out and got a receiver. And when you get a receiver and you get some players around him and you take some of that pressure off him, you get a running game, then you're able to have success. What would you guys do with uh, Sam Darnold? <laughs> I mean, that's a tough one. I, I, you know, the unfortunate thing for him is that there's talk that, that they're going to draft a quarterback with that pick, and we might not know whether or not he can play. You know, so he's in a, he's in a tough spot. You know, when you think about the quarterback play, think about it like this. Tua Tagovailoa, there's rumors right now that Tua Tagovailoa is going to get traded. This guy played a handful of games. He was the first-round draft pick of the Miami Dolphins. He was supposed to be the quarterback of the future. All of a sudden, what, six games into his his, uh, freshman campaign or his rookie campaign, they're already talking about moving on from him? That's the unfortunate spot that quarterbacks are in nowadays. Like, if you can't get it done, if you don't show signs 
uh, of being able to be successful early on, we got to move on. So it's, it's just an unfortunate spot to be in. He's been in New York for a few years. Hasn't worked out for him. It's not all his fault. But when you're the quarterback, you're making the most money. I mean, that's what people are looking at. They're looking at you to be that, that leader and that guy that's going to lead that team to the promised land. Yeah, like I said, it's tough for quarterbacks nowadays. Uh, you know, it's, it's what have you done for me lately? And like I said, when, when these guys get drafted real high and success is not um, like microwavable, you know, come up real quick. You know, these guys in the front office, they're like, man, we need a everybody's looking at a Tom Brady or, Aaron, you know, or, or Rogers. Um, you know, those guys are rare guys. And, yeah. you know, you, you praise these guys coming out of college. They're highly ranked. They're highly ranked out of high school. And then they come to the National Football League. It's a total different beast than than college. You know, the National Football League, everybody's good. Yeah. You know, and, yeah, and, think about it like this, Mark. You talk about two of the greatest quarterbacks that ever played a game, Tom Brady and uh, Aaron Rodgers. And Rogers sat behind Brett Favre mm -hmm. for a couple of years. And, you know, he had to wait to get his turn. You talk about Tom Brady. Came out. He was slow to develop. He wasn't that greatest quarterback coming out of college. It took a little while for him to develop. But when he hit, he hit big. I think that the unfortunate thing for young quarterbacks nowadays is that they don't get a chance to sit back and, and learn the game first. Because the game, you like you think about it like as a defender. The first thing, and, and it's always like this. The speed of the game, it takes us a little while to catch up to the speed of the game. Just imagine how that is for a quarterback. When you're used to throwing windows that are open all the time and you got receivers that are just hands and, 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 and feet above the talent that they're going against in college. In the NFL, they play a lot of zone. They play a lot of zone. And those windows close up quick. And those defenders are humming. They're coming to get you. You don't have that much time to make decisions. Now you're throwing a young quarterback in there and you're asking him, okay, now you got to learn. First of all, you got to learn my terminology, learn my system. And oh, oh yeah, by the way, you got to be able to, to make these split second decisions while these big defenders coming at you to take your head off. That's a lot going on. That's a lot for a young man to process. And some guys can do it at an early age, and some guys can't. Yeah, moving on from your Jets days, obviously, you know, we have really strong ties uh, in Philadelphia. I always tell guys that came from losing programs. Welcome to the National Football League. And I'm sure you probably heard that when you went on to the Eagles because, you know, you guys had a lot of success. Uh, what was it like? I had to get an opportunity to play under Andy Reid, but what was it like playing uh, under Andy Reid in Philadelphia? Oh, man, it was a great time. And Andy Reid was a guy that when he came into the NFL, we the Philadelphia Eagles was his first head coaching job. And I remember when Andy got there, nobody knew that much about him. We knew he was a quarterback's coach. And at that time, we had a pretty pretty good defense. Not as good as the defense that you played on. But we were all right. We were all right. We weren't y'all. We weren't y'all. In no way, shape, or form. But we did all right. So we're wondering what Andy's going to bring to the table and how he's going to coach in his coaching style. Because at that point, we felt like all we needed was some offense, and we got a shot. So Andy Reid comes in, and, you know, he has his coaching style. And the first three days, we used to call them three days of hell. First three days of training camp. We're banging. I mean, we're knocking heads for two days straight. And on that third day, I'm looking around like, what the hell is Coach doing? What is he doing? He told me, he said, you know what, Hugh, shut the hell up. You're getting better. That day on, that was the kind of relationship that me and Andy Reid had. But he was making us better. Because, you know, as you know, when you're coming in and you're, you're the new head coach, you got to weed out the bad apples. You got to find out who you can depend on on game day. Because like my old coach used to say in college, 
you got a lot of locker room lawyers in the in the locker room. <laughs> they do a whole lot of politicking. They don't want to play football a whole lot, yeah. <laughs> but they do a whole lot of politicking. So so Big Red was trying to figure out who was in there politicking and who was in there trying to play football. And once he did that, and we were all on the same page, we were off and we had a great time when Andy Reid was the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, I know a lot of people are always on uh, the Philadelphia fans uh, talking about how rowdy, talking about we're dirty. But, you know, explain to me from playing under the Jets organization with their fan base, what was the difference, uh, would you say, between the Jets fan base and the Eagles fan base? Um, not to say that the Jets fan base wasn't passionate because they were. But the Eagles fan base, man, they are in your face. <laughs> I can remember, who was it? Who was I with? Uh, I think it was Mitch Williams. Me and Mitch Williams did an autograph signing, right? And you all know the story of Mitch Williams. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think it was the World Series or something. He missed a pitch or something. He, he, threw, a, he threw up a meatball. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and, man, we were at an autograph signing, and there was this old lady came up, and, and she told Mitch flat out, you got a lot of nerve coming back to Philadelphia. <laughs> and you talking about this was years ago. But that's Philadelphia. Like the fans in Philadelphia – they remember they like they forget anything, man, and that that's what makes it such a great place to play. You know what I'm talking about, Mark? When yeah. you go back to Philadelphia, you're not paying for any meals, right? You're not paying for any meals, and it's just like the love and appreciation for the blood, sweat, and tears that you gave that organization. People love you for it. All right, Mark. All right, you sit tight. We're going to come back with these guys, talk a little more football, and believe it or not, one of them is a massive junkie of the Bachelor. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Mark McMillan on ESPN Las Vegas is brought to you by Weed Cellars. Hit WeedCellars.com for an outrageous selection of wine, bourbon, and beer. And make sure to ask for Weed Cellars at your liquor and grocery store. Rolling on, Cofield and Company on a Friday, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center as we continue our three-way football conversation with our football insider, Mark McMillan, and the 1995 Defensive Rookie of the Year, Hugh Douglas. I wanted to get your guys' take on uh, what happened in the middle of the week with Dak Prescott and this gigantic extension. This is pretty cool. You know, he was under the franchise tag. He got hurt, and there was a lot of speculation on his future. And the fact that they signed him while he's still doing rehab, that's big. Shout out to his agent and, and everybody involved with that situation because they were able to get him financial security in a time where you didn't know what Dak was going to do. You didn't know whether or not he was going to be a cowboy. They let him know that they believe in him. I, I guess they saw that when he wasn't out there on the field, how different the team looked. So, I mean, congratulations to him. Yeah, you, you, you'll see a lot of people I know I saw, you know, it's, it's a lot of politics, too, that goes into this. And I was uh, texting a buddy of mine, uh, yesterday, who's a huge Cowboy fan. And when Tony Romo signed his, signed his big deal, he's like, man, that's great. Then all of a sudden, Dak signs the big deal, and everybody's like, oh, he's not worth it. Oh, he shouldn't get the, mo- he shouldn't get the money. I'm like, wait a minute, what, 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 what is the difference between Dak and Payne? If I'm pain? not mistaken, they both have the same amount of playoff wins under their belt. Right. So, so I'm thinking, like, is it really that Dak got paid the money? Or is it they saying this because he's a brother? Now let's call it like it is. Now you know what? I don't. I hate to think that people are that shallow. They are. I, mean, I know that they are. <laughs> but I hate to think that there are people that are that shallow that are mad at this man for for getting the money. And I look at it like this, Mark. I don't care who you play for. That's what that's that's what quarterbacks get paid. You know who started this? Uh, Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins. Yeah. The only quarterback still got guaranteed money. Not even <laughs> guaranteed. 
and nobody else has gotten that. So when Kirk Cousins gets paid and you look at what he's done in the league, I mean, it's, the money's only going to go up, and every other quarterback that comes after that is going to get paid. That's the position. That's how it goes. So you, uh, Douglas, is with us, Mark McMillan as well. You does sports radio, does the morning show in Atlanta. Uh, what's Atlanta like as a sports town? Because I feel like in some ways Atlanta's like Vegas. It's uh, very transient, a lot of transplants. What's it like as a sports city? It, it is transient, but but the Atlanta Falcons fans that I've met, the Atlanta Hawks fans that I've met, they're diehard. It, it's just, to me, the, the thing that I've noticed, most of the diehard fans are in the city of Atlanta. And, and, and they're the ones that support the team, might not go to the game all the time because there's a lot going on in Atlanta. They support the team, <laughs> the team but it's the, 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 the people outside the perimeter are the ones that, that are buying the tickets, they're, they're, they're getting the jerseys, and they're, and they're going to the games and things of that nature. So, I mean, I think it's a great fan base. It's just a little different. Atlanta is unique in the sense that, like, going to a tailgate here in Atlanta, it's a party in the parking lot. It's, it's, I mean, literally. It's a part like there's a DJ used to be my man Calvin, <laughs> Calvin the coordinator DJ down here big old camp yeah. they would throw an actual live party they would set up they would barbecue they would have a live DJ they would have performances it was like a, a, a grand old time and man like you're having so much fun outside that people tend to forget I mean hey it's a football game going on <laughs> and it, that's just Atlanta. So you were saying that sometimes the fans forget the game's going on, they're, they're tailgating. When you go to a tailgate, do you pull some guys aside and just start talking about the football game or the bachelor? You know. <laughs> <laughs> is, Yo. What is going on, man? I looked at your Twitter. I'm like, let me get some good sports no, takes from you, Douglas. And the whole thing is the bachelor. Okay, in my defense, my frat brother. Oren Romain, he's my producer on the show in the morning show. He started watching The Bachelor. And so he's talking about it. So I'm, I got into it because it's the first season of African-American male being on The Bachelor. So I kind of got into it. I cannot believe that these <laughs> beautiful, uh, well-educated women are so freaking gullible that they allow this man to, to do some of the things that he's done. They were allowed, you know, they had a choice of whether or not they were going to stay with him overnight in the, in the, uh, in the suites. And we, I call it cuddling. So <laughs> first young lady, she goes in, they, they take like a milk bath or whatever. So she spends the night and they cuddle. So she comes back and you know how the other two young ladies are sitting there waiting. And so come on, man, everybody know, you know, you cuddled like all night long. Y'all were cuddling. Y'all cuddled. Oh, he hit. No, he hit. The, the, well, we call it cuddling. Cause, <laughs> uh, cuddling, cuddling was. So now the, the young lady, the next young lady goes. So she knows what happened. So now he cuddles with her. So they cuddle. And so now this is what got me last night. The third young lady, she had concerns about the fact that he spent time with the other two young ladies. And he was talking about that. And he completely... Glosses over that and ask her, hey, would you like to spend the night with me tonight? <laughs> he says, yes. So he cuddled with all three. Like, and they knew it. He sent one of them home the next day. Like, when it was all said and done, he sent one of them home. And I'm like, wow. And he put, he put I, I, you know, I watched the show with my son of a wife, man. He is putting his tongue in everybody. Man, listen, he, he kissing them open mouth. Yeah. And, and they see it. And he's doing it. Right in front of these young ladies, and they still want to marry. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was saying, I was like, man, why couldn't they have this show when I was a young whippersnapper playing in the league? Listen, Mark, ain't no telling. Like even back in the day, you couldn't get away with stuff like that. You go, 
rain thrown in your face. Yeah, he, he's in he's in a great spot, man. Like I said, only in America, man, that you can go on the show with 15, 20 different women. And Beautiful. these are nice, attractive, nice, attractive young ladies. They're, they say, hey, I think I'm falling in love with you. And he'll say, <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, I think I love you. Uh, that's nice. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, Mark, do we close on? You sent me a note, Mark, about something about hair and hair replacement. What was that all about? Yeah, man. I, I, you know, me and, me and him, we go back and forth on social media, man. And I seen him, uh, you know, post a picture of him going, uh, you know, with the doctors. And I'm thinking, like, I saw Dion go through the procedure. Dion's got a nice fade. He got the hairline back. And I seen Hugh going through the procedure. Man, what is going on, big dog? Yeah, man. Shout out to Dr. Daniel in North Atlanta Hair Restoration right here in Alpharetta, Georgia. Uh, I'm going to the barber now. I don't know what I'm going to do with hair. I think I'm just going to do the mohawk thing because now I got a little hair growing up. So we need to man, what, what what prompted you to what prompted you to be like, man? I'm about to do this. I'm about to you get know some what? hair back. I don't know. You know, it was one of those situations where a coworker of mine, co-host Mike Bell, he does a, he does the afternoon show, Dukes and Bell. And, you know, he's running around. He think he's Burt Reynolds now. He had it done. <laughs> so, like, I had it done a couple weeks ago, and they said, like, you know, it takes a while for it to, like, grow and take root. I'm just sitting back, man, bought me a, a brush. My hair going to look like my beard. I'm going to be like, I'm going to take this, and it's going to be on top of here. Oh. Uh, anything you're doing outside of your, uh, your radio show, uh, foundations, uh, helping to support. I know we talked about talked to Eric Williams a couple weeks ago. Uh, last time we actually met was at his uh, golf tournament. Yeah. Uh, so what do, what do you got going on through this COVID uh, situation? You know what? Right now, just trying to really I'm, – I'm trying to establish roots right now. You know, so I haven't really started anything yet, but I, I plan on working, trying to work with the youth. That was awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That was a good spot, man. He's a fun guy. He was always a funny guy when he played, too. So uh. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to hit on the locker room talk. You know, everybody's talking about him in that T.O. fight. So, you know, he – we, that's another whole nother segment. We can get him back on for that one. <laughs> so, Mark McGillan, you had a busy week, man. Uh, you know, I, I kind of I joke, but I really mean it, about the uh, growing food empire. What'd you do this last week? It looked like you shot a bunch of videos and then you're working seminars. Yeah, I had I had a really busy week. I think Thursday I cooked uh, with my guys uh, for Raise Your Spirits. They did the bourbon part of it. Uh, we had Michter's bourbon and then we had Four Rose bourbon, which was outstanding. And I'm not really a bourbon guy. But pairing it with the steaks that I was able to prepare for the clients, I had 11 clients uh, on this Zoom call, man. That was my first time actually being live in front of people uh, cooking for them. And I went through the process of helping them cook a filet. So I cooked three eight-ounce filet mignons on my grill within 12 minutes, and they came out amazing. Uh, everybody was excited. Everybody was pleased uh, with the meat from uh, my guys and my partners that happy to meet you. And then Saturday... You know, I had a video shoot at my home, so I was excited about that as well, man. So I'm looking, uh, I think, like two to three weeks out uh, that I will have the uh, video ready. Um, had my big smoker out, man. I had pork chops. I had sausage, hot links, ribs, chicken, uh, anything that you can think of off the pig, man. I threw it on the grill. So uh, it's growing, man, and I know I've been tweeting it out, and people have been jumping on board with it. And uh, I'm ready for the tailgate season, man. Like I said, I'm just prepping myself. So when everything gets back together, man, we can take my grill and put it in the parking lot and host our show, Grillin' McMillan with Steve Cofield, baby. Oh, my God. I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> we got to have some uh, weed sellers along the way. It's uh, C-E-L-L. 
ARS. It's not uh, anything to do with uh, cannabis or you know CBD. It's uh, bourbon and wine and beer. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Uh, you know, weed sellers is a big uh, part of what I'm doing as well. Um, if you go online uh, to weedsellers.com, make sure you punch in the code weed420 and you get free shipping on their wine. So make sure you put in weed420 uh, to get that discount for the free free shipping. So everything I cook right now, I even have weed sellers, you know, wine in it or weed sellers bourbon that I put on my ribs for uh, my bourbon barbecue sauce that came out amazing. I'm telling you, I'm so excited for this video to come out, man. I was a little nervous at first because this is my first one, but yeah. it's going to come out really good. So, and the neighbors, I had the big smoker. I had the big mesquite logs. They were like, what do you have going on? They seen cameras. They seen lights. You know, so, you know, a lot of my neighbors, they don't even know really what I did. And I don't tell them. I just tell them I'm I'm the grill master. That's it. You know, I'm excited, man. And uh, you got to tell me how, how I know I gave you some wine uh, from Weasels. I gave you a steak from Happy to Meet You. So I'm excited to hear what you got to say about when you throw your steak on the grill. I know. I got to give you the feedback on the steak. Mark, that was a great spot, man. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. All right. Appreciate you having me on, man. Grillin' McMillan. Mark McMillan, good spot there. And uh, thanks to Mark for hooking us up with you, Douglas, the former NFL player with the Jets and the Eagles and the Jaguars on this Friday. Coming up next, ESPN Las Vegas legal analyst Justin Watkins joins Cofield and Company in studio to break down the biggest legal stories in the world of sports. The scene attacking that Uber driver in San Francisco has been arrested uh, right here in Las Vegas. A 24-year-old Malaysia King is in CDC tonight. Now, we showed you this video just last night. Now, one of the women coughed on the driver and also grabbed his phone. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, rolling on here on a Friday. As you heard it, we're at the uh, BBBC. Battleborn Injury Lawyers. We're tracking college basketball. Latest in the Big East, you got the score in front of you? I will pull it up in two seconds for you, sir. Seton Hall needs to keep winning to go from uh, next four out to get closer to the official bubble. They should win this game, and then they probably have to win. Do they have to win the tournament? Hmm, pretty close, pretty close. They're going to need some breaks. Uh, Big Ten, Rutgers, Illinois about to tip off, and we've got uh, Big 12 action coming up as well. More clarification, you got the score? Uh, I do. Uh, right now in the Big East tournament, Georgetown up 29-21, naked 31-21 with wow. 5.40 left to go in the first. And we will get to the uh, Uber weirdo in just a couple minutes is Justin Watkins, our legal insider, checking in with us. Clarification on the Kansas deal. We don't know the players. As it turns out, it is players. Uh, there were two who were in the protocol before the Big 12 tournament one of them is one of the best players, and David McCormack. Now, he may be cleared. We'll see. Uh, Bill Self seemed to suggest that there are three players who have tested positive, and he did say one of them may be out the first weekend. Right. So maybe that means they've contained it. We don't know. We're not going to know for a couple of days, which, again, it leads to a really weird scenario for the selection committee. How do you seed a team – Kansas is in the tournament. Virginia also had a bow out of the ACC tournament. We're kind of burying the lead. Kansas had a back out of the Big 12 tournament today because of a COVID positive. How do you see these teams without knowing these the specific players who may be positive and out for the first weekend? Look, I, I personally, 
I believe that we do all of this because it's your ultimate resume leading up to the NCAA tournament. So it does seem like you should just see them as the team that they are, right, as their resume dictates what they are. And if they had an injury or if they have these COVID issues, then I guess that sucks. And you got to get a, a lesser Kansas team that's going to get, you know, a top seed and, and a, not the number one overall seed, but a, a good seed in the NCAA tournament. But at the same time, what's the point of building up the resume if that's what's going to derail you, if that's going to knock you down from a seeding perspective? Yeah, I don't love it. I don't love what's going to happen because I, I think Virginia and Kansas will get high seeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure it's fair, but you know, to your point, you've made it m- multiple times. I'm not. I'm also not sure if you penalize them. It's a weird situation, and it doesn't mean it's over too. Right. Right. There could be some other teams next couple of days. The requirement before the tournament was got to have seven days of, uh, you know, clear negatives, mm-hmm. and then you can go to the tournament. If not, then you're out, and you may have to re-enter later in the tournament. So, COVID's still here, folks, and it's affecting the sports world. Do you, are you um. You're, you seem to be implying that Villanova would get a lesser seed, well, but mean, these two wouldn't? Because I feel like Villanova is a respected enough program. Like, if we're doing that game, right? Well, we know Gillespie's out. Right. We don't – the COVID mystery, like, I don't know which players are out for Virginia and Kansas. We know Gillespie's out. So, frankly, I mean, Virginia – I mean, uh, Villanova went three and four down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Remember, Villanova was part of – down at your joint – it's not – you don't own the place, but Vison, you know, John works for Vison. Vison's housed by South Point. South Point had a – prop bet two weeks ago you could get Villanova Gonzaga and Baylor as a threesome to win the title against the rest of the field I mean Villanova now by the way they're playing is probably a seven seed right but to your point there's seven games that point to that right this is a different instance where it's one off one game and now what are you supposed to do and like I guess you know for lack of a better term penalize the other team that's where I would disagree Villanova of course has the sample size of we're not the same team without Gillespie and that's why you would I think Reduce their seating. Virginia and Kansas, uh, I think a three and four or four and three mm-hmm. bracketology seed respectively. So I don't know. I wouldn't be heartbroken to be, you know, if it's Kansas staying a three, I wouldn't be heartbroken to be. Can I get this right? The six, the eleven, or a fourteen seed, right? In that mini bracket, and the same goes for the you know the four matchup. Of course, you know, four, thirteen, five, twelve. I, you don't know how many players are going to have. Look, dude, the Georgia Tech's in the ACC tournament final. Like, what this is going to look like for the NCAA tournament is going to be nuts. Like, teams forfeiting and having to move, getting to move on. Like, I get it. You got to play it. Want to make your money, but uh, if we're getting a ridiculous final because of all these teams <laughs> forced to forfeit, it's going to be nuts. It's not over, Justin. Still going on, and uh, we knew the NCAA tournament could be a little messy. I think the shocking part is that you know that it's freaking top. 15 top 20 programs. One just won a, a national title a couple of years ago in Virginia. So Virginia and Kansas now in some jeopardy. All right, let's talk about someone else who's in some jeopardy. Uh, we heard the region there courtesy of uh, 13 Local with the report on the San Fran. It was actually a trio of ladies in the backseat. Uh, describe what you saw, and then we can kind of get into some of the details here. Uh, I guess there was an argument over the passengers wearing masks. Uh, the guy threatened to pull over and tell him to get out, and then one of the ladies just freaking went off on him. Yeah, I mean, I, from a legal perspective, I saw a couple things. I saw uh, trespass. I saw assault. I saw battery. Uh, the Uber driver asked him to wear a mask. They said no. He pulled over and said, you have to get out. And thankfully, California has a law that says an Uber driver can uh, ask you to leave if you f- refuse to adhere to safety protocols, especially during the pandemic. 
Nevada actually doesn't have this this law on the books. It's a, there is a catch-all, I think, that it would fall under, but it's not expressly stated like the California law. So he, the Uber driver had the right to ask them to leave uh, and, and get out. They said no, and uh, then one of the ladies uh, grabbed his phone. He, he grabbed it back from her. She reached over him, grabbed the phone from the dash. Uh, he, he sort of grabbed that back, and then she ripped off his face mask and then started coughing into his face. Um, all so just, why the, uh, just those three, what, what happens there? What are the charges there? The three I said, trespass, assault, battery. Because what about he, the phone? What about what about it? grabbing the phone? He got it back though. Oh, how long right. would he? Uh, I guess she would, have, she would have to leave with the phone. Yeah, uh, I guess. It, well, I'm talking about a civil claim, whether right. or not criminal charges. Criminal charges, yes. So you would have, I guess, you could have some uh, theft or attempted theft. I mean, just because you recovered it doesn't mean it wasn't successful. You did, you did take it. Um, you would have assault and battery charges. From a civil perspective, he would have claims of. What's called conversion, taking my property and making it yours, even though it's a limited period of time. Uh, assault, battery, and um, trespass. Uh, so that's what I see right off the top. Then the other uh, two ladies were talking about how they were going to beat his A. And, uh, you know, it's just they were threatening with physical violence. Mm-hmm. And so they're there too. Uh, they're all part of it together on assault and battery charges. And, as I understand it, they've arrested one. I don't know if you guys have already talked about it. Grabbed her in Vegas. Yep. Uh, and the other one has an attorney and has made it uh, apparent to the San Francisco Police Department that she plans on turning herself in the next day or two. She's actually the one who did all, all most of the stuff, the one who was turning herself in. She's the one who grabs the mask, grabs the phone, does the coughing. Um, the one that they arrested in Las Vegas is the one who's kind of just threatening, saying, you know, we're going to kick your butt. And um, it's disgusting behavior. It's like this super entitled, disgusting behavior that you get to, um, you know, demean these drivers and, and make them do whatever you want. It's it's gross. It's disgusting. And I'm glad to see there there was an investigation and that they found them um, across state lines. That's great. And they're going to hold them accountable. So two questions. First one is there was a weird – you mentioned trespassing because reading the story – Apparently, after he tells them to get out, he then willingly takes them to a gas station so that she can buy a mask, and she still refuses. Does that change the trespassing where he tells them to get out, changes his mind, and then brings them to a destination so that they can get a mask? Does that change anything? No, I don't think so, and I think that's the point he was making. I brought you to a gas station, and you you won't get out. Yeah. Get out, and they're like, we're not getting out here. And he's like, go get a mask, get out of here, and... And now you've been ejected from the property that you no longer have a right to be in. The California law recognizes that you do not have a right to be there if you aren't adhering to the safety protocol. So that's where the trespass occurs. And the other part is one of them allegedly tried to pepper spray him. I mean, that, that would probably. That was not on the video, but right. that's what, that was in the police report. So, yeah, I guess when, by the time that they got there, there had been some pepper spray sprayed. And wow. um, so, yeah, that, but it just goes further to the to the uh, the nature and the grade of the assault and, and the battery. Yeah. Here's the uh, driver actually talking about the experience. Let's see if there's more charges in here. And I think he does mention the pepper spray. They see started pointing me, cursing me, questioning me about me being a man. The ladies were even talking about 
um, shooting me, uh, calling their cousins to shoot me, and they were making fun of my race. Yeah, again, uh, that lady is in CCDC tonight. Now, the man says that he was pepper sprayed as well. Uh, San Francisco police say that a second woman has also agreed to turn herself in. All right, so those are some of the details, and thanks to their team for that. Um, what about the uh, the threats to shoot? Threats to shoot could certainly be something. Um, now, typically it, it, speaking. It's true. This is his side of the story. Right. It, there would have to be some of. Well, it depends on California state law on that. I actually don't know. But generally speaking, in most states, there's going to have to be some step in attempting to carry that out before you can make, say, an attempted murder charge or something like that. But threats of violence certainly go to the assault. What was interesting to me there is that saying making fun of his race, could this then fall into the category of a hate crime, which just elevates each the punishments associated with each one of the crimes that we've already named? Um, I, I think it would depend on how that was being viewed uh, because it has to be a motivating factor behind the crime, and it may not have been, right? It may have been something that they were making fun of him after the crime had been committed uh, to sort of demean him but was not the driving force behind the crime itself. Justin Watkins, our legal insider, Battleborn Injury Lawyers. We're hanging out at Battleborn Injury on a Friday. Um, she also went willingly onto social media and was talking trash. See if there's any admissions here where uh, it could further build up charges or, or confirmation that she actually did it. This is uh, one of the ladies, um, the, the main culprit, who was ripping the guy's mask off and then coughed all over him. He taught me, don't let nobody play with you. Smack the f*** out them. That's what I was taught. So if y'all boyfriends told y'all to let this Uber, let y'all get out the car and get robbed or whatever the f*** would have happened, now that's on y'all. <laughs> hell no. And he lucky as hell I ain't have nothing on me on mamas because if he would have played with me, bruh, it would have been a whole different story. All I did was smack, take his mask off and cough a little bit, but I ain't even have corona, so at the end of the day. All right. So she admitted she coughed on him. She said she smacked him and then stopped. And she said she ripped his mask off. And then I don't know how to decipher what she was saying. If he had kept going, then I would have done something else. But seems to back up his claim that they were saying, we're going to shoot you. I don't think it mattered what she said. We, we have video, right? I mean, there's <laughs> everything she said or didn't say. If she said, I didn't grab well, his I mask, mean, we saw it, right? It hurts, it hurts her defense. Like, could you there's, present the Instagram video and go, you, you said it here. You, you admitted it. Right. There's, there's, I, there's no... There's no evidence, I think, that a jury would even consider under the circumstances that's different than the video. You can't say, I didn't say, I didn't grab his mask, and then show you a video of you grabbing the mask. I mean, like, it's not me. (laughs) It's like, I don't know what you're going to do with that. I don't think that what she said is any more damning than what the video already shows. The only thing that gets close there is, he's lucky I didn't have something, Um, which implies to me that she meant her threats, but she didn't have means to carry it out, um, which could help her on any sort of serious aggravated charge of, say, attempted murder. If they're threatening murder, she didn't have the means by which to do it. So it wasn't a a true attempt. Uh, But I I don't know, man, that that behavior is just you guys are it's get gross. To, it's yeah. gross. Oh, We've yeah. seen so, so much of it. We've seen Karens all over the country. We've seen guys act like this. And this one went way over the line. And apparently, you know, there are a lot of people who haven't learned the lesson. You can't treat other people like that. And she's probably going to pay a price here. I, I would hope this isn't just pled out to nothing. Because I, I mean, for rideshare drivers, 
you want to have to deal with this? And by the way, I would advise every rideshare driver, you better be rolling. You better have some kind of camera equipment in your car. Yeah. Oh, I think you don't, they you know, know that now. You don't know what kind of psycho is getting in the car with you and people who feel like they're untouchable because she clearly felt untouchable if she's going – the story's blowing up and she's on Instagram having fun with it. Yep. By the way, did you see there was another video of her? They dug it up on social media where it's her driving in a car, a convertible, 122 miles an hour uh, down the freeway, and she's filming herself doing it. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would assume a video like that is just used, like, if you need more as a lawyer, like, to show that this person is unhinged, unsafe. No, I no. don't think that's coming into that claim, but it's a whole separate crime right. in and of itself, right? You've documented reckless driving yeah. um, over 100 miles an hour. That's typically going to go with an arrest. Um, and uh, and potential jail time associated with that. I mean, typically not. Uh, but I, but her doing that is not going to have any relevance to the underlying criminal complaint. It wouldn't even come into play. It doesn't matter how despicable of a human being a person is. Prior bad acts or subsequent bad acts are irrelevant to a proceeding on the determination of whether or not the bad acts at issue were committed or the egregiousness of them. So really quickly, so the, from what I understand reading the reports, the woman who was arrested here is the one that tried to pepper spray him. And then we have on video the lady doing everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, the woman that's in the middle, you know, if she – if like what's her legal obligation to stop this, anything like that? Like is she in any danger if she was just there not containing her friends or not trying to step in at all? She's under no obligation to be a good Samaritan. Okay. Good Samaritan laws – nor did she put – him in peril from what we can see from the video, but she wasn't quiet either. Right. Um, yeah. So I think she was – when the lady that was arrested in Las Vegas in the red shirt, when she was threatening violence, she, I would say, was encouraging those threats and laughing them up and saying, you know, agreeing with them, and that is sufficient. And and, and one of those charges is conspiracy. They did – Charge them with con- conspiracy. That means they're all in it together. Yeah. Um, so she's she's not out of the woods. No way. She's she's in trouble with the rest of them. Let's get an update on a local situation from a uh, sports and more important uh, standpoint. There was a, uh, a 52-year-old gentleman who was killed in this accident with Zion Collins. Headline coming out last night, Zion Collins indictment dismissed over absence of DUI charge. That, that headline looks kind of scary, but what's going on here? Yeah, and we actually uh, – Myself and, and Judge Dan got it slightly wrong last night on the podcast just because we were reading it in real time. So here's what happened. There was a, uh, a couple of different charges that were put before the grand jury, and the grand jury indicted on all of them except for the DUI charge, um, which is sort of um, confusing because – one of the charges they did indict on was death while driving under the influence. But, okay. So what the prosecutor did was then voluntarily dismiss one of the rec- reckless driving charges, even though he got a, an indictment, and is moving forward with the reckless driving and the felony uh, death by uh, driving under the influence. Those are the two claims he's moving forward with at this time to at least a preliminary hearing. Now, the, they have evidence that they say that the THC levels in Zion was above the legal limit. I've talked about this a couple different times. That test is not universally accepted as being reliable because uh, frequent use over a period of time can have your levels at, uh, at 
an elevated level permanently, hmm. not permanently, long uh, in long term, even if you weren't under the influence at the moment that the crash occurred. And I could say pretty reliably that is going to be a challenge that occurs in this case. Justin Watkins with us. All right, we'll lighten things up. Is this real? The NCAA is challenging a group of Virginia urologists who trademarked the phrase vasectomy mayhem. <laughs> the NCAA is claiming that that's too close to some of their trademarks? Yeah, so the NCAA objected to the the filing, the granting of a trademark for vasectomy mayhem by a Virginia uh, urologist on the basis that it's confusing to the consumer and too close to their marketing of March Madness, March Mayhem. Um, and if you look at the commercial, it actually shows the doctors on a basketball court. Dribbling, you know, they are clearly making the connection, wisely so, <laughs> that the, the highest – I've heard this for years now, that there are more vasectomies that happen over March Madness than any other time in the year because the guys can just sit there and – have their nuts on ice and uh, watch TV the whole time, and that's cool. Um, the question I have here, no, number one, the NCAA has to challenge it if they want to protect their trademark. We talk about that all the time, that if you don't challenge it, that at some point later if somebody's stealing your trademark, they can look back at your past and say, you were not protecting your trademark, and therefore you lost trademark rights. So if you think somebody is violating your trademark, you have to challenge it. So, okay, there, there that is. The, the problem I see here is I don't see how there could be a conflict or um, uh, issue of confusion amongst the public, and they don't participate in the same um, area of industry. So, I mean, one's a basketball and one's a doctor, and I don't see the, the confusion there. Now, the, their best argument would be they that by doing this, uh, it would be seen as the NCAA or its member institutions endorsing this doctor, and that's where you got to go. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see where it ultimately goes. I don't think they'll be successful at the end. Okay, because I like the picture of the, the doctor spinning the basketball on his hand like <laughs> yeah. the, the whole time at the end. So I guess because that's what I thought when I looked at it was I thought they had an actual case, but because the goods are essentially different, yep. like that's going to be a determining factor there. Like I'm not going to walk into a, like a clinic and accidentally get a vasectomy expecting to watch college basketball when I showed up. Okay. <laughs> that's right. You got it. You got okay. it right. Yeah, they're not in the same. But but because the NCAA does have sponsors and sponsorships that are associated with it across all the different fields, that would be their argument that it's confusing to the public because it's going to appear as if the NCAA has endorsed this doctor or that he is a partner or sponsor with the NCAA and that they do have sponsorships with doctors across the country in some other fashion. So uh, it's not to say they're not without arguments, um, but it, you know what's, what's funny about, and now I'm watching the commercial as you're playing it live, is he chooses a font in his vasectomy madness that is, I bet you, either identical or very close to the font that's used for March Madness. And so there could be a violation of trademark uh, rights there. Justin Watkins with us. He's uh, ESPN Las Vegas Legal Insider, Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Four o'clock hours on the way. We'll carry over this conversation, get to a couple of important topics, including renters' rights. So just an outrageous story came out early in the week about uh, tenants being completely mistreated and really being put in harm's way.
Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000 with your questions today.